0: And uh, I'm in the 6th grade. So a year younger than my uh, son. My son's now in the 7th grade. And uh, uh, he was uh, predicting that America was going to be taken over by Russia in 1976. Now it was 1974. I'm in the 6th grade. And he's telling us that in 2 years, man, we're history. And uh, I was scared to death. Now 1976 came and went. And Russia did not take us over. (laughs) Um, so, he was wrong about that. I remember there was a book, uh, written, I think it was called 88 Reasons Why Christ is Coming in 1988, something like that, a guy named Wisnat. And I remember, uh, my dad, uh, got a phone call from one of his friends and said, You've got to get on an uh, airplane, come and meet me at uh, such and such an airport. I've got some preachers, I've got to tell you guys something. And he had bought into this thing that Christ was returning in 1988. My dad came back, I said, I can't believe that he wasted my time. <laughs> Christ did not come in 1988. He's coming, but he did not come in 1988. And then uh, there was Harold Camping and the prediction of Christ's return for 1994. Remember that one? And, uh, you know, this was all in the bookstores across the states. I'm assuming it was here, too. And, you know, 1994. And uh, that didn't happen. Now, how these guys get away with it, I do not know. Somehow they just keep on going. People give them money. I, it, it amazes me. But, nonetheless, uh, Christ did not return in 1994. Now, Christ is going to return. The Bible does tell us tells us that no man knows the day nor the hour. So there are some things we can't know, but there are some things God wants us to know. Now, we need to stay within Bible boundaries. We ought to ask God to show us and give us understanding of the signs of the times that we're supposed to know, uh, but not cross the lines into the arena that we uh, cannot and uh, therefore do not know. At the end of World War II, actually before the end of the World War II, Winston Churchill in one of his speeches, said that the war was at a point where he called it the beginning of the end. I have to wonder, in the times in which we live, are we in the beginning of the end? This morning, I want us to consider four thoughts. In regard to Christ's return and this idea of the clock ticking and this being in the beginning of the end. Four thoughts. The first is a review of Ezekiel 36 through 39. You don't need to turn there but when I was here a couple of years ago at one of these conferences I preached a message on uh, a revival in the last days from Ezekiel 36 through 39. I'm sure everyone remembers the message <laughs> and uh, all of the details but in case you have forgotten let me give a quick review. <laughs> in uh, in those four chapters, you have some amazing things. In chapters 36 and 37, the prophet Ezekiel, under inspiration, uh, gives three prophecies about the future. Now he gives them, uh, this is 2,500 years ago to us. The first of those prophecies in those two chapters is that Israel, which at that point was scattered, or uh, 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 was going to be scattered, was going to return to the land. Now he's writing that 2,500 years ago and of course several hundred years later you have when Christ was here on earth but then you have AD 70 and Jerusalem is sacked and the Jews are scattered everywhere and for 2,000 years they were scattered until remember 1948 was the beginning of the return. You remember that? And Israel became a nation again. And, and in 1948, there were 800,000 Jews that returned to that geography, that real estate called Israel. Uh, then you have 1967, the Six-Day War, and they gained some more ground. And then by 2005, there are 5.6 million Jews on that piece of real estate. That's amazing. Now just let this sink in. After 2,500 years when that prophecy was given, it happened. And if you're old enough, some maybe in this audience were alive in 1948. I wasn't. (laughs) Maybe some were. (laughs) I won't ask who. But that was the first of those prophecies. The second prophecy in those two chapters is that there's going to be, in that vicinity of time, a great outpouring of the Spirit. The third is the blessing of the millennial kingdom. Now, the millennial kingdom is yet future to us, so that has not occurred. That great outpouring has not yet occurred. But what has occurred is that Israel has returned to the land. You know, I wonder if the clock started ticking again in 1948. Two millenniums as the church age rolls on and all of a sudden, the Jews come back to that land. A miracle. The percentage of that happening on a human basis is actually, it's it's not possible, but it happened. And so that's the first uh, two chapters there, Ezekiel 36, 37. Then in Ezekiel 38 and 39, you have what's called the War of Gog and Magog. Not God, Gog with a G on it, Gog and Magog. And uh, this has not yet occurred, but it's going to occur. And we're told that there's going to be a coalition of nations led by Russia and Persia, which is modern-day Iran. Now, I'm not taking the time to go into the details like I did a couple years ago when we walked through that in detail. But that is amazing because those two nations are pretty well buddy-buddy-pow-pow these days. (laughs) 20 years ago that wasn't the case. But it's very in view for... The nation of Russia and the nation of Iran. To be involved in something like this. And they're going to lead a coalition of nations to attack Israel. And we're told in Ezekiel the purpose of the attack, uh, of the attack is to take a spoil. Now the Russian economy is hurting right now. And one way to help your economy is go take, it, take wealth from somebody else. That <laughs> says they're going to take... A spoil in the land of Israel. Now what are they going to take? I mean there was a day when you'd really wonder. What are they going to take? Olive oil? Uh, You know. uh, But now they have oil oil. (laughs) Big reserves. Massive reserves have been discovered. And uh, made useful. They have now natural gas. That little piece of real estate now is one of the most wealthy spots on the planet. And so you have this coalition coming down to take a spoil. Now according to Ezekiel 38 and 39, uh, no one, no human, no nation is going to come to their aid. America will not help them. Ireland will not help them. Britain will not help them. No nation on this planet is going to come to Israel's aid when this war occurs. That's a tragedy. But that's what's going to happen. But God steps down from heaven and comes to their aid. And we read that there will be a mighty earthquake like the earth has never known. And God himself will win that war for Israel. That is going to be a mighty day. Allah will lose. The God of the Bible will win. And as a result, Israel is going to be uh, uh, revived. Uh, many of them are going be, uh, 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 to become orthodox again. Uh, they're going to believe in God again. Right now they're quite secular. I think a number of them will be born again as well. We also read in Ezekiel that the nations will know that God is the Lord. The indication is there will be a great awakening. I think, perhaps, the fulfillment of two chapters earlier, that there's going to be a great outpouring of the Spirit. And so, all of this is going to take place. Now, when is it going to take place? I don't know. (laughs) Oh, man, that was disappointing. No dates. Ah, pathetic. Ah, I do believe that it could take place before the rapture. Now, some believe it's going to be after, some believe that it's going to be before. I think it uh, could uh, be before, I think it uh, doesn't have to be, because Christ's return is imminent. On the other hand, I think it's possible that it could. Uh, one reason is, in these prophecies of those four chapters, one of them's already happened. 1948. And that happened before the rapture. The other thing is, before the seventieth week of Daniel, referring to the nation of Israel, uh, you've got those prophecies about the sixty-nine weeks and then the seventieth week. And uh, there seems to be a separation between sixty-eight and, uh, and the or sixty-nine and the seventieth week. I think something has to happen for Israel to be awakened back to God and at least become orthodox in order for the seventieth week of Daniel to kick in. And this war will do that. And I think, therefore, it's quite possible it could happen before the rapture. So there is a very quick, <laughs> rapid review. Sorry, Chair, uh, for making it so fast there. Uh, uh, of Ezekiel 36 through 39. Now let's go to a second thought an overview of Luke 21. This is an amazing chapter when it comes to prophecy. It really is. And uh, let's just hit some highlights here. Look at verse 20. It says, And when ye shall see Jerusalem, compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Now that is a reference to what happened in A.D. 70 when Jerusalem was taken by the Romans under Titus. And then verse 24. It's going to tie into that. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, which they did. "...and shall be led away captive into all nations." That happened. Israel, the Jews, were scattered uh, there as a result of AD 70. But notice this. "...and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled." In other words, there's a pause in the action for Israel. They're scattered among the nations, and they're just going to be, uh, Jerusalem's going to be trodden underfoot of the Gentiles or of the nations until, until. So in other words, there's a time point there, the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And so somehow the clock starts ticking again in regard to Jerusalem. In regard to the completion of the times of the Gentiles. Now, let's read on. Verse 25. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth. Distress of nations with perplexity. Well, you see a lot of that right now. How about this? The sea and the waves roaring. Ever heard of a tsunami? This kind of stuff has been happening. Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. So all of this is going to happen for a period of time. And then it says, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. I'll say more about that in a moment. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your, rege- your redemption draweth nigh. And he spake to them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, ye see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. You know, when we see the first signs of spring. Uh, yesterday we were down at St. Stephen's Green and and we saw some things shooting up out of the soil. like, Wow, there it is. The first signs of, of new life coming. Okay, that's what he's talking about here. So when this happens, you know that summer's going to come. Verse 31, So likewise ye when, okay, when ye see these things come to pass, Know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Now, what generation is that? Now, you've got a reference to Jerusalem back in verse 24. And being trodden under the Gentiles till the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. You've got verse 30, or excuse me, verse 28, when these things begin to come to pass. Now that's a fascinating phrase. In other words, does it doesn't all happen at once. It happens in segments or stages. When these things begin to come to pass. 1948, 1967. When these things begin to come to pass, then look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draws nigh. Verse 31, So likewise ye, when ye see these things, what things? These things that begin to come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is near. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away. In other words, when those things begin to happen, it says that generation shall not pass away till all is fulfilled. Now there are some big ifs. And let me say that because that means I'm not being dogmatic. (laughs) It's called a disclaimer. (laughs) It's called being safe. (laughs) Now, how long is a generation? You know, you often hear, well, 40 years. Well, how do we know? Because, you know, 1948, if that was the beginning, uh, well, then that 1988 thing made sense. Well, that didn't happen, so that one was wrong. (laughs) Well, what is a generation? Well, it's interesting. If you go back to Genesis, uh, you don't have to turn there, but in chapter 15, verse 13 through 16, uh, God is speaking to Abraham, and he tells him that your, your posterity, your your offspring, uh, is going to go down to Egypt for 400 years. Then he says, and in the fourth generation, I'll bring them back. whoa. <laughs> That would make you think that a generation is a hundred years. Hmm, That's interesting. On the other hand, in Psalm 90 verse 1, the scripture says, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Well, does it define it? Well, when you get down to verse 10, it says, The days of our years are three score and ten, which of course would be seventy years. And if by reason or strength, they be four score years. So in Psalm 90, you have the possibility of a generation being either seventy years or eighty years. Fascinating. Now, what about Jerusalem? The Jews have part of it, they don't have all of it. So if the clock starts ticking when they have all of it, that's still future. If it's when these things begin to happen, hmm, that already started. Now, if you go back to 1967, you can make a judgment of years. If you go back to 1948, just for the fun of it, let's do that. (laughs) Uh, And you go 100 years, if a generation was 100 years, that would mean all of this has to happen by 20,048. Well, that's close, but that's a little ways out there. Uh, but if you go by the 80 years off of 1948, that would put it at 2028. That's getting close. If you went by 70 years of generation, then if, if you start in 1948, then that would take you to 2018. That's really close. <laughs> you say, which one is it? I have no idea. <laughs> but I do want us to think. That's amazing. Because we have words here that tell us that Jerusalem is going to be trodden under until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there's an ending note of that time. And when you begin to see this happen, this generation. Fascinating. So we've seen the review of Ezekiel 36-39. The overview of Luke 21. Let's go to a third thought because depending on how much you've investigated there's a lot of talk about this so uh, some of it may be bogus some of it may have something that's worth listening to but the third thought deals with what's called the blood moons how many have heard of the blood moons all right just a few Alright, it's interesting in our passage in verse 25 it says there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars. Now we read in Acts chapter 2 that just before Christ returns, and this is also in the Gospel of Mark and in the Gospel of Matthew in the Olivet Discourse, uh, that there's going to be some major signs where the sun is going to be darkened and the moon is going to turn to blood and it's going to be simultaneous. That means what that refers to is not natural, it's supernatural. Natural. so there will be some things happen just before christ returns that you cannot explain naturally it'll be supernatural so uh, if verse 25 is referring to that then verse 25 is talking about something supernatural which would not be the blood moons the na- the blood moons are natural events on the other hand uh The Word of God does tell us in Genesis chapter 1, on the fourth day of creation, verse 14, and God said, "...let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons." And for days and years. So, regardless of the supernatural signs, in Genesis we do know that the sun and the moon and the stars are for signs, uh, but in this case you have uh, what's involved coming from the natural world. So, let's go to scientific fact here for a moment. A solar eclipse. Is when the moon comes between the earth and the sun. And the moon casts a shadow over the earth. That of course is a solar eclipse. That has to deal with the sun. A lunar eclipse. Of course dealing with the moon. Occurs when the earth's shadow blocks the sun's light. Which otherwise reflects off the moon. Now a total lunar eclipse. Is when the moon turns Red. It looks like it turns red during the total portion of the eclipse. That's where the phrase blood moon comes from. So it's just talking about a natural event uh, that is the total lunar eclipse when the moon has a reddish look to it uh, during that part of the eclipse. Another scientific fact is what's called a tetrad. This is when you have four... Total lunar eclipses that consecutively occur within certain specific intervals of time. Now, without going into great detail, let's talk for a second. We've talked about what the Bible says in Genesis. Okay, this can be for signs. We've talked about some some scientific facts. Let's go to historical fact. A tetrod, these four consecutive blood moon things in these certain intervals of time. A tetrod is rare. Not only that, a tetrod with a total solar eclipse within its series of total lunar eclipses is even more rare. But beyond that, a tetrod that occurs on Jewish feast days, according to the Jewish calendar, is even more rare. So rare that in the last 2,000 years... It has occurred only six times. Now, <laughs> this is fascinating. The last three of those six times are rather interesting. Three times ago, the year was 1492. And in American schools, we learned in 1492 Columbus sailed the ocean blue (laughs) and discovered America and so on. All right, 1492, that's a big year for us. But it was a big year for the Jews because in 1492, the Jews were driven out of Spain. That was a big deal in history. It involved thousands of people. And in due time, America, which was discovered in that same year, became a haven for Jews. To this day, one out of seven people in New York City is a Jew. <laughs> no wonder they're so rich. <laughs> they know how to do it. Uh, but uh, that's uh, true. They, uh, many of them did come to uh, America. Now, that's 1492. The next tetrod was in 1949 and 1950. It crossed both those years, the tetrad did. Now, 1948 is when the Jews began to come back into Israel, but they did not get their full independence. They didn't win it until 1949. So again, here is one of these rare tetrods that falls on a Jewish holiday, and something big happened for the Jews. They got their independence in the real estate called Israel. You know when the next tetrad was? 1967. (laughs) The Six Day War. The Jews are attacked, but they turn the tables and they win. So in all of these, you have something that starts out bad for the Jews and ends up good for the Jews. On the last three of these tetrads. The next tetrad, we're in right now. It began... In 2014, it finishes in 2015. Uh, this will not happen, uh, 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 when, it, when it comes to landing on a Jewish feast day, uh, this is not going to happen for a long time. In the 21st century, there will be seven more tetrads, but not one like this where it lands on Jewish holidays. That's the big point there. And uh, it began on April 15th, 20, uh, 2014, on the Passover. It will end on September the 28th of 2015 on the Feast of Tabernacles. What's also interesting is that this particular tetrad coincides with what's called a Shemitah year. A Shemitah year is the Sabbath year. You remember when it comes to the week, God says that you work six days and then there's the Sabbath day rest. He told that to his people Israel. And he also told them that on the seventh year they were to let their land rest. That's a Shemitah year, much more could be said. I just want us to uh, remember that the 70 years of exile was based on the fact that they had ignored 70 Shemitah years uh, during those five centuries, and so thus uh, the judgment was before those 70 years. Now what's interesting to me is when you just note the last two Shemitah years, and of course, No other nation is Israel. This is just interesting historical fact. The last Shemitah year was 2008. Do you remember what happened to the stock market in 2008? It crashed. Do you know that happened on the last day of the Shemitah year, which is the climax of it all? The Jewish month Elal 29. That's when it crashed. The Shemitah year prior to that was 2001. In America, we remember that year because of 9-11. But do you remember what happened one week after 9-11? The stock market crashed. Each one of those was the worst one up to that point in history. Both of them were on the very last day of a Shemitah year. The climax day, Elol 29. <laughs> now, we're in a Shemitah year right now. And it will climax in September... And we're in a tetrod right now, which will end on September 28th. You say, what are you saying? Are you telling us to take our money out of the uh, stock market? Maybe so. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not saying that. It's possible that nothing significant will happen. Not every tetrod has had something significant happen. Not every Shemitah year has had something significant happen. happen. I'm just saying this is really interesting. <laughs> it really is. What are the possibilities? Well, you remember the last three Tetrads, something bad happens for the Jews that ends up turning good? Well, that would coincide with the war of Gog and Magog. They get attacked, and yet God steps in and wins for them. Hmm. We might watch that war. Say that's gonna happen? Is that gonna start in the next seven months? I don't know. Maybe not. I think it could. (laughs) It's a possibility. It does seem that something significant will happen for Israel within this, the next uh, seven months, or uh, nine months. But at any rate, what's our takeaway? We're not Israel. What's our takeaway? Well, a couple of things I want to mention. Number one, get excited, (laughs) these are exciting times I mean after two millenniums have gone by with these prophecies just seemingly sitting there and in 1948 one of them happens and the clock starts ticking again and now we begin to see things falling in place and uh, you know a quarter of a century ago you would have never dreamed of Russia and Iran joining together, today it's very possible we're watching it happen. You know, you know, there's a lot of generations that wanted to see this. And uh, we are uh, very possibly going to get to see some amazing things. Which can open the door for the gospel, as Pastor mentioned, in a glorious way. A second takeaway thought. Is Luke 19.13. Where the scripture says, occupy till I come. In other words... Keep on. Fulfill your responsibilities. Don't fall apart. Uh, don't get petrified and hide. You remember Y2K? <laughs> Y2K, what an amazing thing. You know, on Y2K day, I was flying from Singapore to Yangon. That's Burma, Myanmar, on Myanmar Airlines. Not rated with too many stars. <laughs> uh, and there were 12 people on the flight. I figured we would be okay. Because if the computers were going to crash. I figured theirs were old enough. Maybe it would be okay. But uh, at any rate. Uh, people were afraid of those flights. So we, you know, we had the whole plane to ourselves. You know, All that. Y2K. People got scared. Now I'm not saying you shouldn't be wise. And have some preparations. But people, people got ridiculous. I know of a pastor friend of mine. His church... It disbanded. Why? Because the major families got so scared they bought their cans of beans and they all moved from their state to the state of Montana. And the church folded. Now, that's not occupying till I come. <laughs> no, the scripture says occupy, fulfill your responsibilities, keep on. A third takeaway is be vigilant. Look in our text. Look at verse 34. And take heed to yourselves. This is Luke 21. Lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares. Friends, isn't this what's happening to many? They're just caving into the flesh. Pandering to the flesh. Doing their own thing. And they're going to be caught unawares. Verse 35, for as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore. Watch, be vigilant. That's crucial. In other words, live for God. <laughs> be vigilant. Don't just be living for the flesh. Take heed. Be vigilant. A fourth takeaway is pray. That's what it says. In verse 36, watch ye therefore and pray. Always. Always. He may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass. And that's dealing with the whole gamut of it all. Pray. You know what we can pray for? We can pray for that great awakening, that outpouring of the Spirit. Now, friends, the Bible tells us in Peter, 2 Peter 3 9, that God delays his coming. Why? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And one of the reasons God uh, uh, hasn't kicked the clock in sooner, one of the reasons He's delayed the coming of Jesus, is because He's not willing that any perish. And friend, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, God in His love, God in His mercy, delays the coming of Jesus. Why? Because He loves you. And he's given you a chance. He delays, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And therefore, we ought to have the greatest awakening that the planet has ever known, just before Jesus comes, to bring in a great harvest, so that when He comes back, there's a bride to take away. Let's pray for that. A fifth takeaway is trust God. I love in the book of Daniel, when it talks about end times events, it says, and they that know their God shall be valiant and do exploits. Now friends, if we're privileged to be in that generation, let's grab a hold of that. Let's get to know who God is. That's what this conference is all about. Let's get to know Him experientially so that we love Him and we have a relationship with Him. And it's not things, but it's Him. Because they that know their God shall be valiant and do exploits. Let's be that generation. And finally, the ultimate of it all is let's look for Christ appearing. That's what all of this really is. It's that anticipation. Looking for that blessed hope. And the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Titus 2.13 tells us. Are you looking? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Now, two major thoughts I want to bring to our attention as we consider the truth that is before us. Are we really looking? Is that real? Or are we just doing our own thing? Wallowing in our own uh, little world? And perhaps commiserating? Or just caving into the flesh? I wonder who would say. Preacher, God has spoken to me. I need revival. In order to bring me back to The reality of that vigilance and that looking for Christ appearing. And in these days, it is the longing of my heart for God to awaken me and revive me that I might fully look for his glorious appearing. God is challenging me. Would you raise the hand please? Yes, 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 amen, yes. God bless you. Amen. May the Lord grant that heart cry. But secondly, I want to ask, I wonder who in this audience would say, Preacher, I'm one of those reasons why God has graciously delayed His coming. Because I'm not yet born again. And if God's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Then that means that God is desiring that I come to repentance. The word repent means to change your thinking. Where you stop depending on whatever you have been depending on. And you place your dependence on Jesus alone to save you from sin and hell. I wonder who in this audience say, preacher... I've never come to that point of repentance. It's time I change my thinking. I need to be born again. Would you raise the hand please? Yes sir. God bless you. Thank you. Is there another? So preacher I am not yet saved. I am not born again. I am not ready for Christ to return. I need to be born again. I need to repent. God speaking to me. I see another hand. God bless you. That's two. Yes. God bless you. That's three. Are there others? Say, preacher, I'm not born again. I'm not ready for Christ to return. In the sense even of salvation, much less looking for His appearing. God speaking to me, I need to be born again. Would you raise the hand anyone else? Now, Father, I pray that you'll bless in these final moments. Lord, I pray that you would keep truth before us. May we think right And Lord, even in these moments, Lord, would you adjust us where we need it? Lord, hear the heart cry of these that are yearning, Lord, for a genuine revival in their own hearts and lives. To be a part of that group that is vigilantly looking for your appearing. Lord, tune us all up where we need it. Lord, for these that acknowledge their need of Jesus, they need to be born again. Oh, Lord, would you bring them to repentance? Would you bring them to that change of their whole way of thinking? We're recognizing that sin is the problem and hell is the consequence and that Christ is the answer. May they place their trust in Christ alone to save them. Ah, we look to you to do it, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Let's stand our feet, please, with our heads bowed. In just a moment, I'm going to ask the pianist to play through a verse of a song. Pastor O'Gorman's here at the front. Friend, if you're here today and you're not saved, if you're here today and you are not born again, if you're here today and you raised your hand saying, I need to come to repentance, uh, would you uh, head to the back And Pastor Earl Gorman will meet you at the back, and he'll uh, uh, have a trained worker take you to a prayer room, make sure you understand what the Bible says about this, and you can be saved today. You can repent, you can be born again today, and know it based on God's word. So if that is your need, would you head to the back? Christians if God speaking to you, will you pray? If you'd like to come and get on your knees, you're welcome to do that. Let's do business with God, even now, as the music plays.